Welcome back to the Ultimate Sports Fan Podcast, the podcast for sports fans made by sports fans. And today we got a jammed pack episode for you guys featuring our version 1.0 NFL mock draft, a deep dive into the Big 12 basketball conference, a breakdown of the AL East and NL East in Major League Baseball. Um, we will also look at the NBA All-Star Reserves. We'll take a look at our choke of the week, which for the third week in a row is coming from the NHL, and also a little bit of racing. Furthermore, um, I have some important news that I will be starting a new series around March Madness soon, so look out for those episodes. It will start when I fill out my 2021 bracket, and I will also review all of the action from each day's games at the end of the night. Anyway, on to our first segment of the show, the NFL Mock Draft. Alright, so for the NFL, we're going to be doing our 1.0 NFL Mock Draft for this year's uh, draft, and I'm excited to do this because I've never, I've watched tons of mock drafts, all that stuff. But I've never actually made a mock draft, so this should be interesting. Um, so at the first overall pick, we got the Jaguars. Of course, the Jets choked the first overall pick at the end of last season. So the Jaguars are obviously going to pick Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson. Um, Trevor Lawrence has been dominant all his years at Clemson. And I, I just see him as a uh, for sure number one overall pick. He made a loss to Ohio State last year, but he's in the championship game two years at Clemson, so I feel like he's definitely he's like the most completed quarterback in a couple of years um, available in the draft. So that's who the Jaguars get with their new teal. Well, not really new teal, but their primary teal uniforms. So number two pick has belongs to the Jets, and... A lot of teams or a lot of mock drafts have been like mixing it up, saying that like Zach Wilson should maybe go higher than Justin Fields and that. But I don't really, I don't really think that Justin Fields is just he's just a gamer. He just makes his team wills his team to win games, and he beat Trevor Lawrence last year with like the bru- I don't know exactly what was wrong with his hips, broken or bruised hips. He just Seems like a warrior, and I think he could help the Jets turn their franchise around. So, second overall pick, Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. So, at the third overall pick, it belongs to the Dolphins, who they got they got that pick um, via Houston from uh, Bill O'Brien. But I think that the Dolphins will look to trade down, as they could. They could get Penny uh, Sewell, who's a great offensive tackle, but I think the Bengals, seeing that Joe, seeing what happened to Joe Burrow last year, will look to trade up so they can get Sewell. So I think that the Bengals move up to the third overall pick, and they draft offensive tackle, best offensive tackle from for a while now, just an absolute beast for Oregon last year. So, Bengals get Penny Sewell. Next, the Falcons have the fourth overall pick. And this is a, there's a really big question at quarterback for the Falcons. Like, well, their team, they're, you're getting older with uh, 
Julio Jones be aging at wide receiver, and Matt Ryan is obviously aging at quarterback. So what do you do if you're the Falcons? You have an old quarterback in Matt Ryan that you could probably get some value for if you traded him. And also, he's probably not going to be used that much for Atlanta in the future as they do not look like they can make a playoff push. So I think it would be best for the Falcons to trade Matt Ryan, which would also uh, leave a gap at the quarterback position, which I would see them then um, filling up with the fourth pick, getting Zach Wilson, quarterback from BYU. And then with the fifth pick, I have the Dolphins um, uh, trading down, obviously, and I think they're going to get Devontae Smith wide receiver Alabama, and I really like this move for the Dolphins because um, Devontae Smith and Tua were teammates uh, at Alabama, and I really believe in Tua. Like, he got the Dolphins to a good spot, like, where they should have made the playoffs, and you could say that without Ryan Fitzpatrick, they don't make, they don't even have a chance with his heroics against uh, Las Vegas. But still, Tua did a great job, and he looked like he just looked like different out on the field. Like he had some like very competitive nature about him. Obviously, everybody does in the NFL, but he just seemed like he could really take the Dolphins with Brian Flores to the promised lands. And I think with Devontae Smith, he would get a much needed wide receiver help. So that leads us to the sixth overall pick. We're at my second wide receiver going off the board to the Eagles, and that is Jamar Chase out of LSU. Now, Chase did not play last year at LSU, but two years ago now, he is he was absolutely dominant. So that's why I have Jamar Chase going to the Eagles. Also, the Eagles still need a wide receiver after they picked Jalen Rager um, in front of Justin Jefferson. So that's why I think the Eagles are going to go for Jamar Chase. Also, I feel like the Eagles think they can compete in their division with Jalen Hurts for a full year now at quarterback, and I think that getting him Jamar Chase is a very a good idea for the Eagles. Number seven, I have the Lions getting Micah Parsons, and they need a lot of linebacker help, so um, there's no other way to do that than getting the best linebacker in the draft uh, from Penn State, and I see them picking Micah Parsons because. He's very fast um, sideline to sideline linebacker, although I could see maybe if the Lions don't want to draft Micah Parsons because I heard there's some character issues that are going around with his name, so we could see him become a draft slide, but I have the Lions picking Micah Parsons with the seventh overall pick. Next, I have the Panthers um, taking Rashawn Slater an offensive tackle out of Northwestern, and Rashawn Slater is an absolute, he's just huge, and he's the second best um, offensive lineman in this year's draft, which is saying something since Penny Sewell is the number one. Also, I feel like the Panthers will want to protect what whoever they have at quarterback, and also Christian McCaffrey, as they might get the Sean Watson and if they got Deshaun Watson, he would obviously want an offensive line. So that's why I have Rashawn Slater going to the Panthers at number eight. 
Number nine, we got the Broncos getting Caleb Fairley, uh, cornerback out of Virginia Tech. And the Broncos really need some cornerback help as they used to have uh, Keeb Talib, but, uh, but he is gone now, retired, obviously. He was a great cornerback for them when they won the Super Bowl. But their corners, they aged and they're moving on. So I see them getting uh, Caleb Fairley as he is a really top cornerback. It's kind of like sure that secondary for the Broncos for years to come. Uh, over in uh the in Denver. So next at number ten, we got the Cowboys taking Patrick uh Sertan, a cornerback out of Alabama, and I feel like he could be a great cornerback to put alongside Awuzie for Dallas. And I feel like the defense was just so abysmal last year that that's why they couldn't make it to the playoffs. So hopefully with Dak coming back. And now uh, Sutan uh, is, is their draft pick. I could see the Cowboys making some moves in their not-so-great division. At 11, we got the Giants, and I got them getting Kowiti Pay. And I feel like the Giants could use him at edge, as they already have Leonard Williams. So they could kind of build something like the football team has in Washington by building a dangerous um, front line to kind of help um, their defense stick with football team as football team's defense willed them to the playoffs last year. Next, we have the 49ers taking Christian Derisaw, interior offensive lineman from Virginia Tech. And the 49ers really need to protect Jimmy Garoppolo as he's been hurt a lot as a 49er. And also, if they get Deshaun Watson, he will also need offensive line help. So that's why I have the 49ers picking Christian Derisaw. Next at the 13th pick, I have the Chargers taking Jeremiah Oasua Komaha, a linebacker out of Notre Dame. And Jeremiah is a very fast um, sideline to sideline linebacker, just like Micah Parsons. And he has made it to the college football playoff at Notre Dame quite a bit. And I feel like the Chargers could really use him on their defensive front. You know, just really stabilize that defense. So that's why I have the Chargers picking him. Then at number 14, we have the Vikings. And I have the Vikings picking Kyle Pitts. And I know they have Irv Smith Jr., but I feel like that offense would just be so dynamic if they had Kyle Pitts, Irv Smith, also um, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. That I feel like, one, Kirk Cousins would have no excuses, absolutely no excuses, for um, not providing uh, offensive spark that the Vikings need. And also, I just think that this could be a move, a splash play, that if it works out, that the Vikings could get back in the playoffs with Kyle Pitts as he would help a team immediately. Next at uh, number 15, we have the Patriots. And I have the Patriots taking the, the fourth quarterback, Trey Lance, out of North Dakota State. And the Patriots really needed a quarterback after Cam Newton is probably not going to be back on the team. Cam Newton was very underwhelming last year. 
And I feel like Trey Lance, he can get coached up by Belichick. And maybe the Patriots can go somewhere again um, with Trey Lance. Then at 16th pick, I have the Cardinals taking Christian Barmore, a defensive interior lineman. And I have, he's out of Alabama. And he's really just a, a force on, he was a force on Alabama's D-line last year. And I feel like the Cardinals could use that with some of the aging veterans they have on the defensive side of the ball or defensive front seven. And also Arizona's defense really held them back last year as pretty much their only great player was Buda Baker, especially in that secondary. So that's why I have the Cardinals taking Christian Barmore to hopefully get some more pass rush so the secondary doesn't get torched as bad as it did last year. At 17, we have the Raiders, and I have them taking Trevon Morig, a safety out of TCU, and Trevon is the best safety out of the whole um, draft class, and I feel like he could really help the Raiders as they picked Jonathan Abram a couple years ago in the first round, but that did not work out for the Raiders, and the Raiders' offense, I feel like is they've been building on that the last couple drafts, getting Josh Jacobs and Henry Ruggs, so I think it's time to turn back to the defense. Obviously, they took Farrell with the fourth pick a couple years ago out of Clemson, but that didn't really work out either, so they still need to work on the defensive side of the ball, and that is why I have them taking Trevon Morig, safety TCU. At the 18th pick, I have the Dolphins on the clock again, and this is where you're, you're probably thinking all this mock draft. Where is Jalen Waddle? Where is Jalen Waddle? Well, the Dolphins give Tua another offensive weapon as they already have Miles Gaskins and they already have um, Devontae Smith and Devontae Parker, Devontae Smith earlier in this draft. So that's why I have them getting Jalen Waddle. And I feel like that could really be a fierce combination with the two Alabama wide receivers and their quarterbacks feel like there could be some chemistry there. So that's why I have the Dolphins taking Jalen Waddle, wide receiver Alabama with the 18th pick. Then at the 19th pick, I have the football team taking Nick Bolton, linebacker, Missouri. And Nick Bolton's really just like a tackle machine. And I feel like he could really be like, he's not going to be like obviously that super stud player like uh, Micah Parsons could be. But I feel like when he already has that amazing D-line that Washington has, he could really be like a commander of that uh, linebacking crew. So that's why I have football team taking Nick Bolton, linebacker, Missouri. On to the Bears at the 20th pick. And I have them really needing offensive tackle as that, um, that let down Mitch Trubisky last year. And really throughout his career with the Bears. So I have them taking Tevin Jenkins. He's from Oklahoma State. And the reason why I don't have Mac Jones going to the Bears. As some people might pick him to go there. Because Mac Jones, he's a great quarterback and all. But he's just not, he can't do enough on his own. That he could keep the Bears as a playoff contender. Especially if they don't have Allen Robinson anymore. And the offensive line, he had a great offensive line in Alabama. He has great playmakers at Alabama. That's not going to be the same at the Bears. So that's why I just 
The Bears need to work on their foundation before they take their quarterback. Then at number 21, I have the Colts getting Jason Owe, an edge from Penn State. I feel like he could really help the Colts' defense, as they already have Darius Leonard, and they've obviously got uh, Rocky Asin, or not Rocky Asin, um, yeah, Rocky Asin, so I have the Colts getting Jason Owe. Then at number 22, I have the Titans getting Gregory Rousseau, edge out of Miami. And the Titans really struggled with their pass rush last year as they were like, that's the biggest negative of their team and possibly why they lost in the first round to the Ravens as they just weren't able to hold the contain on Lamar Jackson. So at the Titans getting Gregory Rousseau, one of the best physical edge or not quick edge rushers in this draft. Then at 23, the Jets have another pick that they got from Seattle, and I have them getting Elijah Vera Tucker, interior offensive lineman from USC. And I feel like the Jets should get um, whoever their quarterback is, whether that be Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold even, some protection that they deserve, as last year the offensive line was just terrible. Then at 24, I have the Steelers taking Najee Harris, running back Alabama. And the Steelers were so one-dimensional last year with just throwing it to Deontay Johnson, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, and uh, Chase Claypool. And Big Ben is just too old to be throwing the ball as many times as he did last year. And James Conner really disappointed last year, so that's why I have Najee Harris going um, to the Steelers as he is just... A physical back, and he reminds me of former Alabama running back um, Derrick Henry a lot. So that's why I have the Steelers taking Najee Harris with the 24th overall pick. Then with the 25th pick, I have the Jaguars um, taking Rashad Bateman, wide receiver, uh, Minnesota. And I feel like the Jaguars will want to get Trevor Lawrence um, some help, and Rashad Bateman can certainly do that. Also, if they are able to keep uh, DJ Chark and Rashad Bateman, that'd be pretty big for the Jaguars. Next, got the Browns with Asante Samuel Jr. He's a cornerback from Florida State, and I have the Browns taking him because he is a very fluid cornerback, and I think they could um, use another cornerback to go alongside Denzel Ward, who was excellent for them last year. Then at 27, I have the Ravens taking Wyatt Davis, uh, interior offensive lineman from Ohio State. And I'm a Ravens fan, and if there's one thing I know they need, it's offensive line help. Like, last year, they didn't have Ronnie Stanley because he got hurt, rolled up on, and Orlando Brown Jr. will get um, traded because he says he wants to be a left tackle, but that's Ronnie Stanley's position. So hopefully the Ravens can get some significant draft capital from Orlando Brown. Um, but they also need more offensive line help as Marshall Yonda retiring last year also left a big hole at interior offensive linemen. So I think that's where Wyatt Davis comes in, and that's why I have him getting taken by the Ravens at the 27th overall pick. 28th overall pick, I have the Saints getting Dylan. Radnon's uh, offensive tackle from North Dakota State. 
And I feel like the Saints are going to need to furthermore protect um, either if Drew Brees somehow comes back, they're definitely going to need to protect him as he is an old man that has fragile ribs. Also, if they get Deshaun Watson, I feel like, or possibly Russell Wilson, I feel like they're just going to want to build a super crazy offensive line because that's what both of those quarterbacks have requested. Next, we got the Packers getting Rondell Moore, a wide receiver from Purdue. And this honestly just hurts because I'm a Purdue fan. So I've been watching Rondell Moore these past three years. Seeing him go to the Packers as my family's Bears fans would be, that'd be tough. Because he is just a great slot wide receiver that the Packers could use. And I could definitely see Aaron Rodgers using him to just getting him the ball and then letting him do the rest. He is very small. But don't let his size fool you because he is incredibly strong. He can squat like 600 pounds. Next, we have the Bills taking Travis Etienne, uh, running back out of Clemson. And I have the Bills taking Travis Etienne because at running back, they didn't really have an answer with Zach Moss and um, Devin Singletary. Although I could see maybe the Bills sticking with those two running backs, but I have them taking Travis Etienne as he would really just complete their offense. Next, at the 31st overall pick, I have the Chiefs getting Alex Leatherwood, offensive tackle from Alabama. And the reason why I think the Chiefs are going to go offensive line here is because they saw what happened to Patrick Mahomes um, in the Super Bowl, and I don't think they want to have that happen again. That's why I have the Chiefs taking Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama. Next, we have the Buccaneers trading the 32nd overall pick to the 49ers. And the Buccaneers don't really need that pick. And Bill Belichick would trade out of the first round a bunch as the Patriots had coach when they had Tom Brady. So I feel like the Buccaneers will play a similar move here. And I feel like the 49ers really need a cornerback um, pro, uh with all the holes that they're going to have there and Richard Sherman being gone probably. So I have them taking J.C. Horn, a cornerback from South Carolina. And I was looking at Horn, and no one really throws him. Like, he only had 24 um, targets last year because he is just that much of a lockdown cornerback. So I think that's why the 49ers trade up and they get J.C. Horn. Okay, so that's my mock draft 1.0. It was kind of interesting as it was the first time I've ever done anything like that. But uh, it was fun to put this list together. I am thinking that I may do one of these every so every month or so until the draft. Also, let me know on our Instagram page at ultimate underscore sports underscore fan underscore podcast, all lowercase. If you would like to see a multi-round mock draft next, anyway, on to our next segment. Okay, so this week we will continue our series of taking a deep dive into a college basketball conference with the Big 12 Conference. And last week I knew a lot about the Big 10, but this week it was uh, more interesting to learn about all these new colleges. Obviously, following college basketball all year round. I already knew a little bit about them, but looking more into them was very interesting. So 
Obviously, the best team in the Big 12 is without a doubt Baylor. And Baylor is the second best team in the Big 12 under Scott Drew. But it's been interesting to see how they have responded coming off of COVID. Of course, COVID has affected multiple teams throughout this college basketball season, even completely shutting down some teams. But uh, Baylor was back in action last Tuesday against Iowa State. Um, And that game was very, very scary as they were down big in the first half. But I think watching that, you kind of thought that, like, of course, Baylor is eventually going to come back but and blow them out. But they really never blew them out, only beating Iowa State by five points in the end. However, some of their key players, such as Jared Butler, did eventually step up in that second half and keep Baylor undefeated. However, what does this scare against Iowa State mean for Baylor the rest of the way? And I think that is a fair question, as they did not look too sharp, and they have a tough game coming up against Kansas, who's ranked 17th, and that could be a very problematic game for Butler. Also, fun fact about um, their head coach, Scott Drew, at one point, he was 0-10 at Allen Fieldhouse, which was actually, he had, so he had more losses than Bill Self had with over 200 more games at Allen Fieldhouse than Scott Drew. I think he had only lost like nine games total and like over 200 games. So that's kind of crazy stat to just show how far Baylor has come and to see if they can knock off Kansas this weekend. Okay, so that brings us to the second team in the Big 12, and that's Oklahoma under head coach Juan Kruger. And Oklahoma's been a really big surprise this year as they have knocked off multiple ranked teams, including Texas and Kansas, as well as Alabama. And their head coach, Juan Kruger, I really like him as a head coach. And I think he's doing great things with this Oklahoma program. Of course, he's had Trey Young, Buddy Heald, who are great scorers. But I feel like Oklahoma is doing really good. Now, they don't have necessarily like a star, star player, like NBA stars like Buddy Heald and Trey Young. But I feel like Austin uh, Reeves has been doing great for Oklahoma this year. And I'm very interested to see how they finish up the season leading up into March Madness as they have games at Oklahoma State and against Oklahoma State um, this upcoming week. Next, we have a team that was uh, mentioned earlier, and that is Kansas. And Bill Self's team ended up not being ranked for one of the weeks this year for like the first time in 22 years, but then got right back on the top 25 list this year, but uh, their upcoming schedule is against Baylor, and that's it. That's it. That, that's their season. We'll see if they try to get another opponent in, but if not, they'll be going into their conference tournament and March Madness, which is kind of crazy to think that it's so close. I've been thinking about March Madness and conference tournaments for months now, so this is pretty exciting to see Kansas finish off its season against Baylor. We'll see if they can get a big conference, a uh, big conference win. See if they can build out their resume and possibly, um, you know, just distinguish Gonzaga as the best team in college basketball right now.
At number four, we have West Virginia. And Bob Huggins has done an excellent job this year with West Virginia, as he always does. And they are currently ranked 10th in the country this uh, this year, as uh, last week from the Associated Press. And they have a very simple week, as all they have to do is beat Kansas State. Although Kansas State just got a big win last week, becoming, I think, like the first team in a long time to get a win against like a top 10 opponent, but also lose to a Division II school. So that's kind of crazy. Um, but anyway, I think West Virginia should be able to take care of business against Kansas State. So next we have uh, Texas at five, and their head coach is Shaka Smart. And he's been at Texas for a couple years now, and it's kind of been disappointing to see him not really be able to – this is the best Texas team that Texas has had and will have. Next year will not be as good as this Texas team. And they were ranked really high earlier in this year, but they got COVID and they've taken several losses since then. So we'll see if Shaka Smart can get his team turned around in time for the time for March Madness to make a run because if he can't make a Sweet 16 run, his job might be on the hot seat if he doesn't do good um, as well next year. So at number six, we got Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State has obviously been very lucky to get uh, Cade Cunningham. But there is a possibility. There's a possibility that they get disqualified from March Madness Um with an allegation, so Oklahoma State, there's a there could be an investigation going on very soon, and I don't I don't think March I don't think uh, NCAA will actually ban Oklahoma State from this year's tournament because they already might not have big names like Michigan State, like Kentucky, like Duke, so I feel like they're just gonna try to get all the the big time names they can get with Cade Cunningham. And they need that entertainment for this year's March Madness. Maybe Oklahoma State gets suspended for next year's tournament, but I feel like they should um, be in this year's March Madness with Kate Cunningham. Anyway, number seven, we have Texas Tech. And Mac McClung has been pretty solid for Texas Tech this year, but I feel like I feel like there's there's they're a little thin. Their resume is a little thin. They haven't been able to get that many top quadrant wins, which kind of is like a exclamation, like a question mark for them. Like, will they be able to get big wins, go far in March Madness? And that's where I would advise you when you're picking your brackets, not that if Texas Tech go that far, maybe I, mean, I don't, I don't know about necessarily getting eliminated in the first round because I think they will be underseeded, but. Definitely, Texas Tech is looking a little bit thin for um, my liking right now. Anyway, that's really the good teams in the Big 12. And then the bottom three, they just absolutely fall off. But then we got uh, TCU. And not much to say about TCU, but they have a um, an upcoming schedule of three games this week. So that's uh, a tough schedule for TCU as they have to play at Iowa State. But at Iowa State, they haven't lost a game. However, it would be quite embarrassing. Or Iowa State hasn't won a game. 
So it'd be quite embarrassing if they handed Iowa State their first win of the year. And when they got at Texas Tech, so that's a tough game, and at West Virginia. So two very tough games to close out the week for TCU. Um, so we got Kansas State at number nine, and they just picked up a huge win last week. But one thing that wasn't great about last week for Kansas State were those uniforms. Those uniforms were absolutely atrocious with the dark purple shorts and the light purple top. So hopefully Kansas State never wears those again. Anyway, on to our final team of the Big 12, which is Iowa State. Iowa State not looking too good. They were just they had just made it um, and won the Big 12 conference tournament a couple years ago. And now they have two horrible years in a row, which makes you wonder, is Steve Prom's job up for grabs? I don't think so, because they've been to March Madness three years in a row before these two horrible years. But if he has another disappointing season next year, then I think um, Prom's job is definitely a hot seat um, in the Big 12 Conference. And their upcoming schedule does not get any easier, although they do have TCU. But then they have to play Texas, and they have to play Texas Tech. So, tough, tough sudden for Iowa State for the rest of the year. And they, it's very possible that they don't even win a game in the Big 12 Conference. Anyway, that wraps up our college basketball segment for this week. Also, we will be doing the ACC conference next week. Plus, don't forget to check into my new March Madness series that I will be starting. I'm very excited to put that out there in the upcoming weeks. Hopefully, uh, you enjoyed this segment of college basketball, and I'm getting really, really excited for March Madness, filling out the brackets, and watching all the games. Anyway, on to our next segment. Okay, so uh, next we're going to do the MLB section of this podcast. And this week I decided to do a little kind of mini-series that I might be doing for the next couple weeks. And that's where I will be looking at every team in the MLB um, from their divisions and where I think they will finish in their division, as well as if I think they have any hope for the playoffs. Um, I don't know if I'm going to continue this or if I'll just start doing MLB news again. It depends on how the hot stove, or not really the hot stove, but how, if there's any like major headlines for the MLB before the regular season starts. If not, then we'll just continue the series every week um, until we get some more uh, storylines when the regular season hits. Anyway, the first team we're going to look at is who I think will win the AL East, and that is the New York Yankees. Not a Yankees fan, but I do got to give them credit. Uh, they are a very good team. They beat Cleveland last year in the playoffs, which is kind of Cleveland's uh, last dance at it with Frankie Lindor gone now. And anyway, back to the Yankees. Some of their key players are Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, who are obviously coming back from injury. So as they have Garrett Cole, who signed that major deal, and they also got uh, DJ LeMahieu back. But anyway, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. The Yankees are good. I could see them very easily winning another AL East title. Um, and yeah, so next we got the Blue Jays. Now, I didn't put the Rays here because 
they lost or they traded to Blake Snell, so that's why I put the Blue Jays up a spot. And I think their infield is super scary as they have Jonathan VR, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, and Bo Bichette. And I feel like those young guns, um, the baby Blue Jays, could possibly uh, take them to the playoffs. I feel like they're a dark horse in the American League. And at the third spot, I have the Tampa Bay Rays. And Tampa Bay Rays still have Brandon Lau. And obviously, they have Randy or Rosarena. It'll just be interesting to see if Randy um, can continue his playoff success into a full 162-game season. And let's, let's just see how Tampa can do without Blake Snell as he absolutely carried them, it felt like, from a pitching perspective in the World Series. And um, so that's why I have Tampa Bay at number three because they lost Blake Snell. Then at number four, we got Boston Red Sox. And I could I could have put the Orioles here because I feel like Boston, if they have another season like last year at the trade deadline, they could blow it up. Although at the moment, they have too many good players still with Chris Sale, Alex Redugo, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. Although, they already started with getting rid of Andrew Benatendi. So, if they continue that trend, I can see them actually being the worst team in the American League East. Um, and then, as my current worst team, I have the Baltimore Orioles. And they have a lot of potential. It's just that all the talent is in the minors still and not the majors. But they do have some good players like Anthony Santander, who had a very, very quality season last year before getting hurt. They also have Trey Mancini, who dealed with cancer last year. And John Means, who was an all-star two years ago. As well as Ryan Monacastle, who was a very good call-up last year and could be an AL Rookie of the Year candidate. As well as Austin Hayes. So next, uh, we have the NL East. And I have the Braves winning the NL East because I, I've seen like a lot of t- people putting the Mets up at number one, but I can't really fault the Braves. They haven't really lost anybody, and they they just almost went to the World Series. They were up in the series against the Braves, and not the Bra- the Braves were up in the series against the Dodgers, and ended up blowing it. But I feel like the Braves are just not getting enough credit for how good they actually are. So. That's why I have Ronald Kuna's Braves at number one. Number two, we got the New York Mets. And, of course, they just got Francisco Lindor and Tyon Walker. But if Francisco Lindor doesn't work out and he leaves in free agency, that could be huge for Mets fans as they might be going down the drain and kind of looking like the Knicks after they lost Camarlo Anthony. And number three, we got the Washington Nationals and... It was a very, very off year for a World Series defender and the Nationals, but they still have Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Victor Robles, Max Scherzer, so I feel like they should be back in the running next year. Then number four, I have the Phillies, and they still have Bryce Harper, and of course they were able to re-sign JT Real Muto, so I still feel like they'll be a challenger in the NL East, but... Uh, as I think this NL East will be a very tight and very good division next year. And then number five, we got the Miami Marlins. And they were a very big surprise last year, but I feel like there's kind of some 60-game magic. And I don't know how they'll do in a full 162. 
although they do have Starling Marte and Miguel Rojas, who were very good for them last year. Anyway, that finishes off our MLB segment, and now on to the NBA. Okay, this week our NBA segment will be um, looking at the rest of the NBA All-Star Game rosters. As also I have to announce that Devin Booker is the sub for Anthony Davis. And Sabonis, who really should have been on the team initially, averaging 27, point, 27 points per game, has filled in for Kevin Durant. And Jason Tatum is now um, filling in as a starter for Durant. Anyway, um, obviously, I just want to go through um, all the All-Stars so far. Of course, obviously, as the starters, we have LeBron, uh, Luka Doncic, Jokic, Leonard Curry, and we have Durant, which is now Sabonis, Giannis, Irving, uh, Embiid, Bradley Beal, and also we have Harden and Lillard for both sides, and then the reserves were announced, and the reserves are Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Zion, Levine, who Levine really, it's really cool to see Levine, as he got snubbed last year when the All-Star game was in Chicago, but he's been absolute beast carrying the Bulls to a current playoff spot. We have Chris Paul uh, and Vucevic from the Magic, as well as Tatum, Randall, Julius Randle, Rudy Gobert, Jalen Brown, Devin Booker, and Paul George, 13. So, there's a couple of um, surprises, maybe, with Vucevic uh, initially being over Sabonis, and also Chris Paul initially being over Devin Booker. And then also, one other note I just wanted to touch on in the NBA segment was the Thunder do not have an All-Star for the first time in what feels like 10 years as they um no they don't have Westbrook or Durant and they don't have Westbrook or Paul George and last year they had Chris Paul so it's kind of crazy that they their long streak of having an All Star is over and anyway that's all the NBA news we have for this week as there wasn't really any mainstream NBA news except for um the uh NBA reserves for the All Star game being announced. But we will look into the All-Star game as soon as it happens and give a, a review of it after the game. So anyway, on to our NHL segment for this week. Okay, so our choke of the week for the third week in a row comes from the NHL. And more specifically, it comes from the Anaheim Ducks versus Arizona Coyotes game from last Wednesday night. And in that game, it started off with the scoring 19-48 into the first period when Max Komtos scored his fourth goal of the year to put the Ducks up one to nothing. And that is very, very, very bad for the Coyotes as you never want to give up a goal in the final minute of a period, but that's what happened. Then in the second period, almost eight minutes in, Josh Mahora scores his 
first goal of the year puts the Ducks up to nothing. Then, 15:46 into the second period, Max Jones scores his first goal of the year off a power play. 3-0 Anaheim. We go into the third period, and there's only 10 minutes left in the game, and it's still 3-0 Anaheim. But then, Tyler Pitalik scores his third goal of the year. Also, I'm going to butcher all these names because I do not watch hockey that much. I just like to watch um, some exciting comebacks and the playoffs. Well, anyway, back to the action. You got Jacob Shashiron scores another goal to make it 3-2 Coyotes, 11:49 into the third period. So the Coyotes are back in this game after seeming like they didn't have a chance. Probably a lot of Arizona fans maybe turned the channel, missed the final of this game, but it got better for Coyotes as 16:39 into the third period, Phil Kessel scores his seventh goal of the year, and the Coyotes have tied it up. They have scored three goals in 10 minutes to come back on the Anaheim Ducks, and here they are, tie game, and this would go into overtime. However, no goals were scored in overtime, so you know what that means. We're going to a shootout, my favorite part of hockey. I wish they were in the playoffs. Anyway, the, sh- the scoring starts off, or the shootout st- uh, starts off when... Um, Nick Schultz gets saved by Anaheim goalkeeper Ryan Miller and it's 0-0. But then, you know, the Anaheim Ducks are feeling a little bit better. Like, maybe we won't blow this game as they get a shootout goal um, by Trevor uh, Zagros. And it is now 1-0 Anaheim in the shootout. And But next next shooter comes up. And Connor Garland scores for the Coyotes. It's 1-1. Ducks miss their next shot. Coyotes come up to the plate. And they get another goal by Christian DeBark. And they are up 2-1. The Ducks have blown this lead. And they need a huge goal by Richard Reichel. But he misses the net entirely. And the Coyotes get a huge, massive comeback win. And more importantly for this segment, the Ducks get a massive choke. So I hope you enjoyed this choke of the week coming from the Arizona-Anaheim game. And on to our final segment of the week, some racing. Okay, so for our racing segment, we're going to talk about NASCAR and Formula One. Uh, last week in NASCAR, Christopher Bell won his first ever race in the Cup Series for Joe Gibbs. And next week, um, NASCAR will continue its Florida section of the schedule at Homestead Miami Speedway. My pick for the week is Kyle Larson, as he is excellent at running the top at Homestead. Also in Formula One, Red Bull and Alfa Romeo released their new liveries, but both cars barely changed. I really can't wait till uh, Racing Point, or not Racing Point anymore, but formerly Racing Point uh, releases their new livery. As I feel, I heard it could look like a watermelon car. If you follow Formula One, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, that's the end of this week's pot episode of podcast. 
And uh, let me know if you have any recommendations over on the Instagram at the Ultimate Sports Podcast. And um, let me know if you want me to get any more guests to break up the podcast. Anyway, signing off for this week. Um, Tune in next week for the Ultimate Sports Fans Podcast.